just having to like pay attention to your sleep and pay attention to your nutrition and to pay attention to where your mind's at and to pay attention to you making sure your body's recovered and just that all of those things that I didn't think about when I was 18 or 19 years old, we're asking them to do. And if they don't do it, they're probably not going to have the success that they want. This is the tournament code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Coach Webb. We know that you're the head coach of Tennessee, obviously. You've coached a few other places. And then prior to that, you played a little bit. So before we start on your whole career progression, let's start at the beginning and just how you got into playing the game of golf. Yeah, well, it's very fortunate. I grew up at South Muskoka Curling and Golf Club in Bracebridge, Ontario, about 100 miles north of Toronto. Um, my dad was the club pro there. And so I essentially grew up at the golf course. Our house was on the 11th tee, kind of really all the only life I knew was, was being at the golf course, certainly for the six months of the year, there wasn't snow on the ground. So that was my introduction and, um, was pretty fortunate to be able to do that. Growing up in Canada, did you play any other sports? Like I know hockey's super popular up there or did you just kind of stick to golf? I I played every sport you could play. If they were keeping score, I was playing it. Um, ran track, played baseball, played hockey, played basketball, uh, what, whatever they, there was available, I, I was doing it. So, so when it came to playing tournament golf and stuff like that, when did you start getting to play in actual tournaments? I probably got serious about playing tournament tournaments when I was 12 years old. You know, the, at that time, the age divisions were 13 and under. 14, 15, 16, and then 17, 18. And so when I was 12, that's kind of when it got into that and, and started to compete for those under 13 or 13 and under titles. And so I can just remember that summer being the first summer that I played a lot of, a lot of tournament golf. And so after that, you know, you got better. Like every everybody has a progression. In your case, you went on to play at Eastern Tennessee State. But and that was a really good team you were on and part of. I know you guys came in third, I believe, in the NCAA championships and were ranked number one at one point. I, my memory serves me correctly. But as part of that process, you know, coming from Canada, I don't know exactly what you were thinking as far as like, hey, like I want to go to college in the U.S. Like, was that something you knew you wanted to do? And did you know you wanted to play college golf in the U.S.? Or were you thinking about doing other things as well? No, that was kind of always what my plans were were to do that, you know, that was something that my dad had talked about when I was really young, you know, that of that being an option. And I can remember if we were coming down to, you know, even come out on spring break or go on family vacations. Every time we went by a university or a college, my dad would be like, oh, maybe one day you could go play golf there. So it was always something in the back of my mind. It was always my goal. And I was, you know, very fortunate to be able to, to go to ETSU and play on a on a really 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 good team so going into college did you always think you know i want to try to play professionally on the pga tour or was that something that you realized while you were there no that was always something i was going to do in my mind that wasn't i was going to be the first canadian that won the masters uh i'm going to go play the pga tour and and that was going to be my life so that was that was all i ever ever thought of all i ever wanted to do and where my passion lied for sure so going to college how exactly did you decide on what school you're going to and then beyond that once you got there was it different than imagine like high school golf or junior golf 
how much different was it playing against other college players? Yeah, I, I mean, the recruiting process was certainly enjoyable. I was fortunate to get an opportunity to come down and play a couple AJGA tournaments and had some success. But my biggest thing was I qualified for the U.S. Junior and then made it to the round of 16. And so that kind of opened up a lot of doors for me there that had probably put myself on some coaches' radars that hadn't been on before. And so the interesting thing was I, I really didn't know a whole lot about the university college system as far as you know what the SEC was, what the ACC was. I knew Michigan football and I knew Syracuse basketball because that's what we got on TV growing up. And I just, you know, ETSU, they were, I think, ninth or 10th in the country at the time offering a pretty good scholarship. I was like, I'll just go there. They're, they're top 10 in the country. And so got there and, you know, I enjoyed, enjoyed it immensely. It was certainly was different than junior golf and the level was much, much higher than I was, you know, used to. So that was a little bit eye opening, but, you know, in the end beneficial to me. So when you play on a good team like that, you know, a lot of times guys, you know, improve their game just because of their teammates and, it can be the opposite when you play on bad teams. You know, sometimes teams just regress, but you got you played on a really good team. What did you learn from your teammates and learn playing against that type of competition in college? Yeah, I mean, I think one, the first first thing was just the work ethic and, and the level of work that was required to be that elite level. You know, I've played with guys that have gone on and won on the PGA Tour uh, with Eric Axley and Garrett Willis. Two other, two or three other guys that played Walker Cup, a couple guys that played the European Tour. Keith Nolan played the PGA Tour for a number of years. Uh, I think at one stage we had six or seven guys on that team that eventually had full status on at least the Corn Ferry Tour. So be around those guys every day. I mean, all we did was gamble and try and beat each other's brains in, and you know, just just every day, some you learn something. But just the competitive arena and just to be around guys that were elite competitors and achievers uh, was awesome. But you know, the little things you pick up, I can still like, I still tell my guys now a shot around the short, a short game shot around the greens that Keith Nolan taught me when we were in college, you know? So it's just, it's just cool to be around guys like that. And being around those guys not only helped me in, in college, but into my professional career as well. Kind of going into your professional career. I want to talk about that career in particular. And so the fact that you got to the second stage of PGA Tour Q School eight out of nine times, and uh, at one point, you got full status on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, just talk about how, you know, first of all, how hard it is to make it, and then how you were able to kind of still have that consistency, and you still played, you know, very well through those eight or nine years. Yeah, I think one thing that helped me as far as Q School went is, you know, when we were playing throughout the summer, my goal was always just to be prepared for Q School. And because at the end of the day, I knew that if you weren't going to get through Q school, it didn't really matter. You weren't going to have a sustainable career as a professional golfer. So I probably sacrificed some results during the summer to be prepared for, for Q school. You know, the hard part is if you get to that second stage and don't make it, you're back to essentially square, square one. And being there and getting that close every year, it kind of just kept you going as well. And then to finally get through a couple of times, that was, yeah, you know, the best feeling ever and, and made all of that work and sacrifice worthwhile. I tell people all the time, they have no idea how good of players, the elite players are in division one college golf. And then that's even more. So they have no idea how good the guys on the PGA tour are. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not something that somebody that isn't around it all the time can even grasp the concept of how good those guys are. 
That's the truth. When we're playing, we actually played a round earlier earlier this summer. Me, Cooper, and one of our buddies who's on Corn Ferry just secured full time Corn Ferry status last year, and we've all known each other a while. And I was coming in as like two handicap, maybe a five handicap, something something in that range. It's never that sure what where I'm at because of how much depending on how much time I've actually been playing. So we came into that round and. You know, Cooper Cooper's not playing full time anymore or anything like that. He's a plus three. He's given me, I think, six shots or eight shots. And uh the Corn Ferry guy is giving me I think he gave me fifteen shots or something like that. And it was a pretty dead even match for the most part. And that's just he's a great player, but that's just at the Corn Ferry level. Every step you go up, the guys are just a little better, it seems like. So Playing in on the Corn Ferry, I know you had three top 25 finishes. Tell us about what it was like going on that circuit and competing in those events. I know it's a little bit different in college. You know, you have a few events in the spring, a few events in the fall, whereas there, you know, you're having to go around and in one sense, you want to play as many tournaments as you can just to give yourself the opportunity to do well. But at the same time, you also got to save your energy some. Yeah, I mean, if I look back, that that's probably the, the biggest mistake I made. I got off to a pretty good start. I was probably in the top 50 on the money list after six or seven events and then went out and played and kept playing and kept playing. And as, as things got tougher and tougher and I was in, you know, not in the best of mental state as you're just kind of trying and trying to hold on and keep keep your card. I think I played 11 weeks in a row at one stage and my wife was at home pregnant with our first child. So all of those things, you know, if I could look back, I'd like to play three tournaments and come home and, and relax and understood that, you know, yeah, somebody was out there making some money that week and probably going to pass me on the money list, but that was okay. Cause I was going to be in a much better place that following week to go and, and play. So yeah, it, it's tough because it, you work so hard to get out there. And the last thing you want to do is, is, is lose that status again. And so, yeah, that, that's the one thing looking back. I wish I had a you know conserved my energy and been in a better mental state um, going through that process for sure. Yeah, that's that's something that we talked to a former corn fairy player about a few episodes ago, and he was saying you know he was hovering around the the number to keep his card, but he just wanted to keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. And I, th- I think at one point he was forced to take a week off, and then he ended up playing really well the next week. But it was just a tough mental battle to kind of you know get yourself to take time off. I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about previously about what, you know, nobody really has an idea of how good the PGA Tour players are, and I think everybody, you know, has a different answer to this, but what do you think makes them that good in most scenarios? Well, they don't have any weaknesses, you know. I hear all these, you know, the guys like, "Well, I didn't putt well this week," and that like them not putting well is the best putting round that most people have ever had in their life. So, yeah, you know, they're they're all really, really, really good physically, but the belief that they have, the mental outlook they have, the way that they can kind of compartmentalize their feelings while they're playing during competition at those levels, all of these things that, that lead to elite performance, they're just really, really good at. And at the end of the day, they all believe, you know, why they're out there and, and how they're there and, and trust their their talents better than everybody else. So when it comes to playing on the PGA tour and playing on the corn ferry. As you mentioned, there's also personal life that goes on. You got married at one point during this time. And then your wife is at home 
pregnant, like all those types of things are things that you have to manage as an adult and as being someone who has to potentially like provide for the family, I can imagine that is a stressful, stressful scenario. Neither Cooper nor I have kids. My wife is due in June with our first, but I could, I could imagine like I talk with my buddies now who are out there and already for themselves, you know, they're, they're sweating. It's like, sometimes like they try not to think about the money, but the point is like, yeah, you're out there to play golf. You're out there to be the best. But at the end of the day, if you're out there doing that and not making any money, then you'd be going and finding something else to do because you got to live, you got to survive and you got to provide. So when it comes to having uh, a wife, when it comes to having a kid, how did you balance that? And did your life change at all once you had a kid and were playing professionally? Yeah, I, I was fine once once Nala was born. It was while Carrie was pregnant that really, you know, kind of got got in my head. Um, I think I was, like I said, inside the top 50 on the money list. I was, you know, had a chance to win Louisiana, which is probably the fifth or sixth event. I had, you know, ended up, I don't know, finishing 12th or something, but had a putt for the lead with like six holes to go. And Carrie flew out to California the next week and told me she was pregnant. I think I missed like 15 of the next 17 cuts. It was just like, it was just too much for me. All of a sudden that putt, that first Friday in San Francisco that next week, I, I can still remember vividly. I was playing with Paul Gal from Australia and I had like a four footer on 14. Like I was inside the cut number and I just kind of hit the worst putt of all time thinking about, man, I need to make the cut this week to make some money. And it just, you know, looking back, obviously that's not the right mindset, but it was a, it was all of a new experience for me. And I wish, you know, wish I could go back and change my mind. I didn't have to change anything else. I wasn't, didn't need to work harder or change my game. It was good enough to be where it was at that time. You know, once Nala was born, I actually played probably as, as well as I'd ever had that, that next year, you know, lost it, won a couple, you know, bigger tournaments and lost in a couple playoffs and played in PJ tour event in, in New Orleans. And at that time it was fine. It was just the unknown, I guess, and the anxiety of what that, you know, came from that unknown was, was hard for me. So that's the one thing I wish I could go back and change, change my mindset about for sure. But yeah, it's, there's. There's lots of things going on, and I see it even now with my guys. You know, they show up one day and they're mm -hmm. just lethargic and not in a good mood and, and not not acting the way they act. And you know, it's it's not their golf; it's just something else. And that's just part of trying to do this. You know, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and all those guys—they they all go through it as great as they were. So that's a perfect transition in part when you have one of your guys who has comes to you and. Maybe doesn't say, hey, things are not going the best in my personal life, but you can tell, you know, so, something's off. He's not performing the way he normally would, or he's not at least coming with the attitude that he normally would. What do you do with your experience? Say, hey, like, let me see if I can help jumpstart this process, help at least get him back in the game mentally, or what can I do to at least get him back on the right track? Yeah, I think that's where my advantage as a coach is, is that whatever they're going through, I've probably gone through it. And I understand, you know, I've got, you know, the ability to look back and go, well, I wish I had, this is what I did. I wish I had it done this, or I've been around somebody that's gone through it and handled it probably better than I did. And so I'm just kind of, I try and be pretty vulnerable as a coach and, and you know, share, share what I've gone through and share the mistakes that I've made and the feelings I had and to under, you know, make them understand it's okay you know, it's life and it's not, doesn't make them a bad person to be feeling that way, but here's, you know, where you can maybe feel a little bit better or learn to handle these feelings and, and still perform. So on the, on the topic of coaching, I know you started your career out at South Florida 
what made you decide to go into coaching and how has your career progressed from there? Yeah, what made me decide to go into coaching is I didn't want to work in the financial community like I had uh, done all my stuff, uh, licenses and certifications for. I, you know, so I lost my corn fairy card and it was not, obviously Nala was born. It was time to, you know, get a job. I end up missing that second stage of Q school that last year. And I spent the next summer caddying for a friend of mine on a senior tour and a couple other guys here and there and did all my licenses and certifications for financial planning and had a really, really good job lined up. And I'm sure Carrie was like, thank God, we're finally going to have a stable paycheck. This is going to be amazing. And about two weeks before that happened, I saw an advertisement for the University of South Florida assistant coach position. I was like, oh, I've always kind of thought about doing that. I'll try that. It's only five minutes from my house. We'll see how that goes. And Chris Malloy, who's the coach at Ole Miss now, my best friend, he was the, just gotten the job at South Florida, and I'd never met Chris before, had no experience coaching, and I just kind of bombarded them with phone calls and emails and text messages like, hey, let me try this, let me try this. And the job was paying $24,000 a year. Chris wanted someone younger didn't that didn't have a kid that, you know, needed – you know, didn't need the money, but eventually he figured out he wasn't going to be able to hire anyone any good for $24,000. So he, so he gave me a shot. And so I was there for a year, had a great time, learned a lot from Chris. We, you know, he was pretty young, energetic and go getter. We recruited really, really hard and, and got some really good players to come. Eventually those guys ended up being a team that made it to match play at the NCAA championship. But both Chris and I had gone by that, by the time those guys had gotten older, but after a year, got my biggest break in coaching Shirley and got the, to be the assistant coach at Georgia Tech and go up there for three years and learn from Coach Hepler, who in my mind is the best that's ever done this. And uh, took that experience and went and worked for my my buddy Whit Turnbow up at Middle Tennessee State, who had gone from being a golf coach into administration. Uh, he had set, set up the program to have a, a tremendous amount of success through the resources and facilities that they had. So was up there for three years, had had the most unbelievable time, met met some of my closest friends, lived in a great city in Murfreesboro. And, but then the opportunity to come, to come to Knoxville uh, presented itself and it was just too good a, too good a, a place to turn down despite, the, you know, how much fun I was having in Murfreesboro. And now I've been here in my fifth season. So to get here in my sixth season of coaching was incredible. The number of, of very, very fortunate things that had to happen for, for that to happen I can't even think to go back on all the little things that could have changed that path, but just very, very fortunate, man, to, to get here and have my dream job and work at a place that can we can do whatever we, we can uh, set out to do. So that was a, a, yeah. my long story, but uh, it was a great, great path and very fortunate more than anything. No, that is, that is really cool. And you say, you know, there's some luck involved. Sure. But for someone to, move that quickly and then have sustained success, it indicates something more than luck, which is having a knack for what you're doing. And you might not have ever coached before going to USF, but it seems like pretty quickly you figured out that it was something that you would be able to do pretty well. And if you didn't figure it out, at least you figured out how to do it pretty well. As far as the first part you mentioned there, being at USF and going heavily into recruiting, moving from playing professional golf to recruiting high school players, what was that difference like? And having been in those shoes yourself, what did you take from your past experiences to you know, think, hey, here's the type of player I want to look for. Here's the type of guy I want playing on my team. 
the thing that attracted me to the recruiting was the competitive nature of it, you know, and still just having those juices going and be able to, to go and get a guy that maybe would have gone to Florida State if we weren't recruiting him or, or you know, a bigger school like that. That was that was really, you know, cool for me. And I, I went all in. And Coach Hepler told me in my first job interview, he said, I don't know what you're doing down there, but every coach in Florida wants you out of there. So that was that made me feel good that I was, you know, had had ruffled some feathers and in the establishment. And that was cool. So that was like, really good. The other the first thing I kind of do remember was like, I didn't think anyone was any good. <laughs> because I had, you know, from what I've been watching for the last eight or nine years, and certainly hadn't really remembered what junior golf was like. That was that was cool. But you know, that that after a while, you, you kind of recognize what level is and see the guys that go on success and what it takes. And so that was that was cool. And then, you know, as the years have gone by, I've, I've certainly refined what I'm looking for. It's not all about the results, but the results are important, obviously. Uh, they, they do transfer as much as people say, well, if I just had a shot, if I just had a shot, it's, it's not, you know, that you can't, the, the, that's the, the thing about golf is the scores don't lie. You know, that as, as we've gone forward, I've certainly, you know, looked at, at, at some other things, maybe off the golf course stuff that I wouldn't have early on in my career. You know, college golf and college golf coaching in particular is a kind of a unique challenge. You know, you guys are mandated to have a certain amount of time to practice each week. And uh, I saw a Kobe Bryant quote about a week ago, and it said, it's not how many hours you practice, it's how many hours you practice when your mind's present. I think that really resonated with me because I would just grind and grind on the range, but I might not have always been super present. And I just wanted to know like, how you get your guys to maximize their time while they're practicing throughout the week. Yeah, I mean, our mindset is the thing that I talk about the most. These guys work really, really, really hard. It's certainly the most talented team I've ever been around. They're incredible talents. And so when things are off, it's because of the way they're thinking more, more than anything. And so that's the stuff that we talk about a lot. We don't do a lot of organized practices. We probably don't even come close to using those 20 hours, Cooper, just because I trust and believe that these guys are going to do the right things. And if they don't, it's going to show up in their scores and, and then we'll have a talk. But right now, with the group that we have right now, it, it's it's kind of trying them to get them to calm down a little bit and maybe just like, let's go inside and chill for 30 minutes and talk about some other stuff instead of being out here hitting, you know, some more drivers and, and chips and stuff. So it's, uh, you know, every group's different. The first team I got here that, you know, they had to be kind of taught how to how to practice. And they certainly, you know, took those lessons and ran with them. but. It just it kind of just cycles, but it goes back to the recruiting. If you recruit the right guys, you don't have to tell them to work hard. You got to tell them to kind of where they are, where they're thinking. And in that recruiting process, you said you know Florida guys wanted Florida guys wanted you out of there because you were taking uh, a lot of good recruits. And it seems like at every level, you've had success on the recruiting side. And you said you know scores don't lie. Like you look for off the course things for sure, but scores don't lie to a degree. But when you're recruiting guys like everybody wants the guy that shoots the lowest score or shoots the lower scores. Everybody wants that guy. And you have like Tennessee's probably an easier place to recruit from than somewhere else. But when it came to those other schools, you still had profound success in recruiting. What about you do you think separated you when talking to these recruits? They're like, hey, he might not be at the time, hey, he might not be at Tennessee, but. I want to go play for him. I want to, I want to be there. He can help me do this. What really separated you? Do you think? 
probably just being honest and, and brutally honest about, you know, what my expectations were, what it was going to be like. It wasn't as much of a sales pitch as, as uh, kind of just to maybe push the guys away and see which ones came coming back for it. And I feel like that's really helped me get the guys that end up having success in college that maybe weren't as highly, you know, ranked or recruited, but, you know, we're a top 15, 10, 10, 15 team in the country, depending on the poll right now. And two of, two of the guys in our starting lineup were coming to middle Tennessee to play for me, you know, that weren't getting recruited by any, anybody at the time, but through the recruiting process and talking to them, I could figure out what was on their inside a little bit more that maybe some other people hadn't figured out and was able to get them to come to middle Tennessee. And so, and now they're, you know, guys are both going to be probably all Americans and all regional players this year at, at the highest level. So that, I think just taking that time and, and going at it and it's not like, I'm not selling, you know, Hey, if you come here, this is going to be the most enjoyable experience of your life and everything's going to be great every single day. And you're going to shoot 65 all the time because we have this, 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 and this, it's just like, this is going to be really hard and you need to understand that this isn't going to be the easiest thing. And you're probably just going to be one of seven or eight really, really, really good players instead of the big fish that you've been your whole life. And everyone telling you how great you are you know, this isn't, this isn't it. So, but you tell me you want to go play the PGA tour and this is what it takes. And this is environment thing to help you get there. And so when you say, Hey, like you come here, it's going to be tough. What exactly walk me through maybe what a day in the life looks like, or a week in the life of one of your players looks like, because as you said, you guys might not use up those 20 hours of like structured yeah. practice that you have. But as, as we know from playing in college, you practice plenty more than 20 hours on your own. So what exactly are you guys doing week in week out uh, to keep continuing to get better? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, obviously the workouts we do in the mornings, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 AM guys will do extra stuff. You know, I think we had a few guys going to yoga after that this morning, then they're going to go to class, you know, get, go eat lunch at 12 and be out here. I guess today, actually, we're going to go qualify when we go out and play, but, if not, they'll come out here and, you know, most of the time I'll leave here at 6, 630 and there's still guys out chipping a putt and they got here at, you know, one o'clock. But it's not just that, not just the time, but just having to like pay attention to your sleep and pay attention to your nutrition and to pay attention to where your mind's at and to pay attention to you making sure your body's recovered. And just that all of those things that I didn't think about when I was 18 or 19 years old, we're asking them to do. and if they don't do it, they're probably not going to have the success that they want. And so to be able to be that young and to make mature decisions and kind of grow up a little bit faster than the guys that they went to high school with that are here as normal students, that's the hard part. It's not, it's not the, the hours of practice or anything that I don't think myself, like that to me was always easy, but I'm not sure if I've been able to do all the other things that these guys have to do now. In the short term, it's plenty more fun to go out and party. But in the long term, it's plenty more fun to win tournaments <laughs> and play good golf. So yeah, I under I understand that perfectly. When it comes to we've talked kind of like what a week in the life of one of the players looks like. But beyond that, you said you had qualifying coming up. You got tournaments coming up. Tell us a little bit first. What is your qualifying process look like? We've had some. I know I've known some coaches. You know some guys. Some guys qualify for everything. Some, you know, bring qualify for some spots. Some guys are perpetual. Some there are some picks, et cetera. And one of the most recent ones I can remember, we talked with Jesse Mudd 
over at Lamar. And an interesting story of his was when he played at Florida, this was back in 06, 07. You know, he came in his first year, played really good, got injured his second year. And then his third year, he came back. He was able to play in some tournaments. And the tough part for him was he was qualifying. Like he was making, he was in the top five, but because he was older and really wasn't playing that good at golf uh, week in and week out, uh, he would get knocked out for coach's pick of most of the time. And so I think his last year, I don't think he played in a tournament. And so for him, when he was at, he's at Lamar now, he says, essentially, every, everything he does is 100%. You got to qualify for everything. There's when he said, there's only two times I've ever knocked out a guy for a pick and essentially was the guy was like it was a course where you needed to hit driver and in qualifying the guy was so scared of his driver he's only hitting two irons or four irons he's like i can't can't bring you to this tournament where i know you're gonna struggle and i know i went a little long-winded there but from your perspective you know having played college golf having coached at a bunch of different places having played professionally how do you handle the qualifying process yeah it's different i've gone all over the map during my career uh, i think if I were to say that the mistakes I've made is when I've been gun shy from qualifying or I felt like I know the five guys and even though they're not maybe playing the best at home, they're the ones that have the best resumes and they're going to have the most success. So I think it's a combination. You know, I mean, it'd be crazy for me to make Caleb Surratt and Bryce Lewis qualify to go to every tournament when they're both, you know, top 20 players in the entire world. You know, for, for those guys, I know they're going to be prepared. I know that they're going to be ready when the lights turn on. And so they're in qualifying, but I'm sure everybody in our squad pretty much realizes they're going to be at every tournament. And so there's a a little mixture of that. But then there's guys that really need to go through that process and beat somebody. And right now we have probably eight guys that could play anywhere in the country. And so it's not for me to say, yeah, you you can come and you can't. So those guys are, are in the qualifying a lot. I think last year I didn't do as much qualifying as I wanted or as I should have. And we didn't have as much success in postseason as we should have based on where we were ranked. So this year, I've kind of made a promise to myself that we're going to keep qualifying all the way through and do that and make sure guys are prepared for it. So it's kind of, like I said, a mixture. We're not going to – I've played for five spots before and finished 13th out of 15th the next week. And so I'm probably never, ever, ever going to do that. And that was with the team that was top 25 in the country. So that that's probably not going to be the case. But – you know, I think when we when you get down to it, the five guys on the road have earned it, and that's um, that's what we're looking to do. So I want to go in and talk about Caleb Surratt some. You know, he's obviously one of the best players in the country. He's already played in multiple PGA Tour events this year, second one being where he qualified for the Farmers Insurance Open. First off, like, what makes him so good? What are his daily habits that make him so good? And second off, just... A question, you know, kind of a personal question, like, did you support him, you know, staying out there playing in that Monday qualifier? I know a lot of college coaches would probably say, you know, you need to come back, you need to prep for college. But he went on and uh, played in that Monday qualifier, got through and he was out there for another week, you know? Yeah. uh, Well, yeah, I was uh, all for that. I mean, he's a different animal. That's where he's going. That's where he's, you know, he acts like he's he's been and, and in the right way he's acting that way he does those the things that those guys do and so for me for him to be around those guys and and to learn a little bit more and just to kind of keep developing all the elite that he has already 
uh, I'm all for it. It was the first week of class. You don't ever do anything the first week of class anyways, except get the syllabus. So uh, with uh, online class classes and, and the first week of class, it, it was not a big deal. He was doing some homework out there. I, I flew out to caddy for him. So I was able to kind of make sure that he was he was on top of his schoolwork. So he's uh, as much school as he missed. He's still over 3-0 and, and does the work and understands he needs to be good at that stuff too. So yeah, that that's it. But to, you actually kind of hit the nail on his head. It hit, what makes him elite is his daily habit. You think about somebody that does everything at a professional level as a, as an 18 year old, it's Caleb. Uh, it's scary. Um, what, how much effort and thought he puts into his days. The first time that I got to spend a whole lot of time with him in a competitive environment, I went and caddy for him at the U S junior this year. He had started summer school here already. So I was able to do that and spent, you know, he made it to the finals. So I spent six days with him, 36 holes a day in competition. We stayed in the same condo, so I got to see his preparation each day and and then his kind of post, post-reflection post each day. And when we got done, he was disappointed he lost, but I told him, I was like, man, I have earned so much respect for you. Uh, not because you played well, like I know that already, but just the habits that you have and the way you handle yourself in all these situations, incredible. I can remember, you know, he's going into the finals as a 36-hole day and first first shot was going to be at 745. and Caleb's routine is he gets up three hours before his round and he had been doing that for five days. And so he's pretty whipped and he's just played 36 holes the last two days. And I was like, what time are you getting up tomorrow? And he said, I four forty five, And that was that, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, maybe I'll get an extra 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Or he's like, this is just what I'm going to do because I know if I keep doing this stuff, I'm going to go get to achieve all my dreams and the things that I've set out for myself. So, it's been awesome to be around them. It's been awesome for our guys. It's been awesome for me. And uh, I'm really glad he chose to be a part of this. Uh, I'm really glad he's, you know, he's had some ups and some downs and, and taking the time to learn from all of those things. No, that was, I watched a, there's kind of like a walking interview that the PJ tour did with him. And he was talking about how he had woken up at like five or something that morning to do homework. And I was like, you know, there's not too many kids in the country that would um, be, con- you know, still do their homework when they just qualified for a PGA Tour event that early in the morning. But um, I kind of want to talk about what you mentioned earlier. So his preparation and his reflection, you know, something that we're really interested in helping players with is not only the preparation, but also the reflection after the tournament round. I think that's really important. And what, you know, what are some of the specific things he did to both prepare and reflect. That's something I've kind of shared with my guys. You know, I talked to Caleb before and after every round he played basically this summer and even the, even the bad ones. And I think that's really important that it doesn't have to be with your coach or with your college coach, but with somebody or something, whether it's journaling or just talking to, to your girlfriend about it. it, it's just, it's important to, to learn from every day and every experience and so you can be better for the next one instead of just shuff it off and say, ah, it was a good day or ah, it was a bad day or ah, I got unlucky or ah, I made, made some putts. I just don't think you learn anything from that. And so it's been, I've tried to like incorporate a little bit in with our guys and, you know, even it's always a struggle just to get guys to do stats. <laughs> you know, that's always been a, a struggle for me and it's five minutes, you know, it's just, it's not that, it's not that much time, but guys get going and start thinking about other stuff. And I think the stats aren't 
aren't really the super most important part, but the fact to have to go back and think about your round and reflect on it. And so we've all, we've come up with a diff, couple different strategies for some guys. Some guys have started writing down all of the good shots they hit that day, you know, and just writing that down and, and, and going back through those and just building a little bit more belief and confidence that way. You know, we, we've had a couple different things, but I think it's really, really important. I, I try and, you know, write down things I've learned each day in my notebook and to be able to go back and look at it. And then to be honest, like that's where going back to qualifying, that's where I like kind of made that promise to myself. We're going to qualify the rest of this year because after NCAAs last year, I was very disappointed. And I wrote down all of the things that I wanted that I learned from that experience. And that was one of them. Like you have to qualify. You have to have qualifying. And I didn't really think about it again until probably August. And I went back and looked and read those notes and, that's what we did and i don't know maybe if i hadn't written those down or started to think you know what we just played bad because these guys are terrible uh that's why we played bad you know that that wouldn't that wouldn't have done me any good and that whole experience would have been would, you know would have been for naught. so i keep thinking that if we have or when we have some success this year it's going to be because of that and that so, so i think that's all very important and we try and keep talking to these guys about that stuff that it's not just hitting it well and it's not just chipping and putting well as elite of a skill set as they have now it's got to be something else they use to separate themselves and so that's where we put our energy as coaches and qualifying itself kind of helps you in the sense that as we mentioned you know you only have so many tournaments you can play together as a team you have a fall schedule and a spring schedule but qualifying kind of helps you because you have a pseudo tournament that's ongoing and guys you know have a chance to prepare for and look at their performance and give themselves a gauge of where they actually stand because every shot every shot counts all the time but especially in that sense like every shot's going to count you're going to go out there and compete against everyone else on your team who are high quality players so it kind of gives you the ability to test yourself so i like i like what you said there and one of the things i had a question about was as far as the stats go you said you know it's a hard thing to get guys to keep stats and both Cooper and I emphasize with that because even we're more stats conscious, but even for us, like sometimes after a round, it can be hard to be like, all right, I got to go enter my stats. What kind of stats are you looking for your guys to keep? Everything really, you know, with the programs and apps that they're all provided here with us, it's, you know, they get, they're getting shots gained information back. And so I just ask them to be as accurate as possible and take five or 10 minutes to, to, to do it. And it's funny because when stats are presented to them, even in Caleb's situation, he's like, I had told him like, you know, he, I think like the one thing he really needed to work on after the summer was his short game. And we kind of, he's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then after he got done Bermuda, he's like, my short game's terrible. And I was like, <laughs> because he saw his stats and I, you know, and so even him, like, that's something that I don't know what, like, I think a lot of it is they don't want to see bad stats and they don't, you know, a lot of kids, uh, especially in this day and age at 18, 19 years old, they're still a little bit insecure and they just want to hear the good stuff. And so we ask them all the time to be a little bit vulnerable and, and to understand that that's okay. And this is, this is a long-term deal. You just, but you do need to know and have some feedback and stats are another form of feedback. That's the truth. I, I talk about, when we talk about tournament golf, one of the things I say is, you know, in the long run, it's a weighing machine but in the short run it's a voting machine that's kind of the the corollaries you're familiar with financial markets uh the saying is you know in the sh in the short run uh stocks are stock markets a voting machine in the long run it's a weighing machine it's the same thing with stats yeah like my putting 
might have sucked this week. And there's always every week there's always an ex, there's always an excuse for it in the sense like he'd be like, oh, like that shot here, that shot there, like there's just a few little shots, et cetera. But when you all of a sudden stack up a season worth of stats and you say, man, over the course of a season, I lost two strokes putting. Like there's no there's no dying week in, week out that you're pro- that you're not putting the best. So being able to keep that as you go along, I can imagine is very helpful. We mentioned the post round reflection. Jumping back to preparation, I know that's especially something at your level. You work with, uh, you worked with Caleb, like preparing for the U.S. Junior. You've caddied for your guys, and then you obviously go to every tournament as the coach. What do you do to prepare your players for a tournament or a course? Yeah, I think one of the things we've we've tried to do is meet like a week before we leave and talk about the golf course that we're going to play and the things that you probably need to have success on that, what you need to be doing well to have success on that golf course. And that gives them some time to go work on that, on that stuff. Yeah. I think that, you know, everyone does the yardage books and a lot of teams do the Google earth. And, but I, I keep saying, I know I'm probably sound like a broken record, but I just keep going back. It's just, where's your mind at, you know, and we got it. We always try and, not damper expectations, but to, to not them, make them the forefront of what we're doing and just keep going back to that process of, hey, if we do this as good as you guys are, we're going to have success. It's just trusting that and staying. I always say all the time, just stay out of the way of your preparation because I know our preparation is really, really good. I know the talent level is really, really good. And if we can just stay out of the way of that, then success is going to come. It's when you get in the way of that with thinking that I need to do this and I need to do that. And this is about, I need to go finish second and I need to go make birdie and all those things that you think you need to do that you like, don't, they just, those things happen. And so that's where, you know, we keep talking about that stuff mindset, but that for me is that's the preparation. that's important. I think it's easier the older you get to identify with that statement, at least because I remember when I was younger there's, you know, that you make a lot of bad decisions in general as a kid. And it's not that you're intentionally trying to, it's just like you get wrapped up in the moment. And when it comes to the golf course, it's the same thing. Cooper and I always describe it as like everything moving way too fast. It feels just like you got to get it done. And all of a sudden, like it spirals out of control. And then, you know, you've tripled this hole, you've doubled the next, and then you're like out of it. And so then you, it's supposed to be like, all right, you're quote unquote out of it. So you're like, as opposed to, you know, just relaxing and, you're like, all right, I'm going to go through my processes. Like now I got to make up for the mistakes I made. And as you get older, you know, your prefrontal cortex develops. And so you don't feel the, those same urges. And that was one of the things, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen was like Will Zalatoris at the PGA championship last year. Like most people probably weren't that impressed by it, but the drop that he took off of that concrete, most, most, I would imagine even like college players, if they're on in that scenario, like playing for a major, like in competition, they've hit a bad shot. They're back on this sidewalk. Like they would not have spent 15 minutes to get relief. And then when they got that relief, they might not have had the mental presence to be able to hit that shot. And that the shot he put to like 10 feet and then made the putt, that shot blew me away in just that process. So when it comes to your players, as you said, like preparing mentally sounds like the most important thing for you to get them in the right spot. How exactly do you make sure that their expectations are aligned or like at least help get them in that direction when you know that at 18 to 22, that's not where their mind wants to go? Yeah, we just kind of try and use the experiences that they've gone through and so that they can have, you know, grasp the concept. And so last week was a perfect example. 
we didn't play as well as we probably should have or in Puerto Rico. And we had a meeting the other day and went through some stuff. And I asked them, I was like, who here thought about winning the tournament before we got down there? And, you know, seven hands went up. And I was like, and did any of you win? So it's a, it's a waste of time and emotion. It doesn't help that I think I need, I want to win or I need to win. Like that kind of like, hopefully getting some light bulbs to click on. Like this isn't how you win. And to be honest, when I, the first couple conversations I ever had with Caleb, his converse, his, one of his things was, I should have won five times last year. I could have done, I could have been the player of the year. And I finished like second and third and fifth and sixth. And I was like, well, your first thing is thinking about winning the tournament. You know, that's not helping you any. And we had about two weeks before he went to play the Terracotta uh, Amateur down in, in Naples. And uh, we talked about all that stuff. Like, you just can't, you don't, you can't control winning. I tell him all the time, like, well, what if you had tied for the lead and you shot 59 and the other guy shot 58? Like, was that a bad day? Did you, like, lose the tournament? And so, like, we just talk about where your energy goes and that the things that you can control. And he went down and he won the Terracotta. And then he won about six of the next nine tournaments he played in. And it was all about just not trying to win, just handling the things he could handle. And going back to, like, his preparation is so good that that's going to shine if he stays out of the way of it. So just stuff like that, going through those different scenarios that they can kind of grasp a little bit more of than me just telling them what I did, the mistakes I made. That's perfect. I, I know we got time coming up, so I got only two more questions left and then we'll head to wrap. But one of the things you said right there, you know, is like after afterwards, trying to make sure that they look back and stay on top, stay on top of things and like recognize, Hey, I shouldn't have, thought ahead so much. One of the things that can happen in golf and Cooper and I talk about this a lot with college players is, you know, you're not just playing for yourself when you're at, we talked about when you were out playing on tour, like you're playing for yourself, you're playing for your wife and your kid, and that can be some added pressure. And in college golf, sometimes there's added pressure of having teammates. There's four other guys that you're going out and playing for, and you want to, you want to do well. And oftentimes when you play bad, you don't feel like you've just let down yourself. You feel like you've let down your teammates. And a lot of times you associate your self-worth with the score. And sometimes it can make for an awkward bus ride back or like at least an un- unfun one when everyone's just in the in the bus and they're just mad about how they've played and they're stewing, stewing over it. So for you, when it comes to tournament wrap up, okay, things did not go as we wanted. Are there any particular ways that you try to make sure that guys are not saying, hey, I am Caleb Surratt, 73. I am Cooper Collins, 76, but kind of recognizing that, yeah, we didn't play good. We didn't do exactly what we wanted, but there's opportunity here still, and we don't need to live in that. Yeah. I mean, I always just tell them like, they're never going to be judged by their results or, you know, for me, like I'm going to, you know, measure them by their work ethic and their body language and their mental preparation and their mindset. And always just try and stay as far away from the results as we can. But at the end of the day, it's results based and there's a scoreboard and we're going to figure it out. And people are going to know if you did well or didn't do well, but we're going to try and figure out why, whether it's why did we do well and, or why didn't we do well so that we can be very prepared for that situation the next time and just keep learning and learning. And all of the time I tell them like the people that are elite, they have a long-term view of things and people that are, you know, results oriented, measure themselves day by day, they're just going to spin their wheels forever and ever. And so just try and keep hammering that home that, you know, this, we didn't 
become a good program overnight and you're not going to become a, you know, a great player overnight. It's just doing the same thing that you need to do every day, having a plan and, and working that plan. That's perfect. Well, the last question we ask every guest is if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And then for you in your case, since you work with some guys that are younger and are coming from junior golf, Additionally, if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that one thing be? I think it's just the same thing I talked about. Like you have to have a long-term view of this. And it's really hard to not think that everybody's paying attention, but I promise you they're not. That you know, everyone else has their own life's going on and if you do well, they'll notice it and tell you congratulations, but every round and every shot that you hit is not not on a lot of people's minds other than yours and some and sometimes your parents. So I think if you can just get a grasp on a concept of, hey, I just need to keep doing this thing over and over and over again, and all of this is going to, you know, take care of itself, and I'll be where I'm supposed to be, then that's going to help you and not slow you down. But if you start thinking, it would be like you're talking about the stock market. If you're going to buy Apple every day, it goes up and sell it every day, it goes down, you're not going to make a whole lot of money. And that's what people do with their golf game. You know, they... They play, they play good and they, everything's good. And then they play bad and everything's bad. And I gotta, I'm terrible. And then I'm great. And I'm terrible. And I'm great. And I got to practice. I don't need to practice. And you just, you're not getting anything. You just, this is what I need to do to be great. And if I keep doing this at certain checkpoints in my life and my career, it's going to work out. And I wish I had known that because we all want to do things and you think you have to prove it to people in the outside world. But that outside world, they're really not paying that much attention. They just want you to, to do well. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you on social media or anything like that or ask you any other questions? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Instagram probably more than, than Twitter these days, but it's uh, Coach Webb UT Balls. Um, but reach out there. And um, as long as you're not a high school recruitable kid, I'll, I'll, I'll reach back out. Awesome. Give Coach Webb a follow, and then if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave us a rating. If you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Tournament Code, on Instagram at The Tournament Code. As always, we enjoyed having you with us, and we look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. 